Hello and welcome everyone to Eyes on the Mize, episode 14. This is John, joined by Ian. Ian, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Kind of tired, bad. but good. <laughs> uh, good. We're recording on June 1st, which by the way, today's date is a palindrome, 6116. If you're in America. If you're in America, otherwise it's 1616, which I don't think has a fancy name, but whatever. Anyways, uh, today we're going to be talking about Ian's Eyes on the Mize GP Minneapolis Recap. And we're going to talk all about Ian's time this past weekend spent up in the Twin Cities. Yeah, uh, specifically just Minneapolis. But <laughs> hey, man, I, I, well, I learned a funny thing. Like, it's one of those weird things. We have like cities that are kind of like this. Also, I, I learned it when I was in Texas, uh, stationed down there. They're like, it's kind of like with Dallas and Fort Worth. Yeah, they have the same kind of thing where Minneapolis and St. Paul. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm from Minneapolis. Like, well, it's actually more like St. Paul. And they're like, no, you're not from Minneapolis. They're just like, no, just no. Have a seat over there. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, we'll start with a small eyes in the community segment because we had big uh, pro player news coming out of GP Manchester, which is over across the pond from us in the United Kingdoms. Fabrizio Ontari got DQ'd from GP Manchester for doing what's called mana weaving. So, Ian, what real quick, what is mana weaving? Well, mana weaving can be a di- bunch of different things, but usually, uh, for, I actually wrote on his Facebook. I'll read this. He said, "I got uh, he I got DQ from Man- GP Manchester. I was sorting lands between games while checking my main deck configuration and not shuffling properly or even at all afterwards. I sort lands because I'm a big control freak and it hurts my sight to see them together, but it creates a big advantage if I don't shuffle properly afterwards. I do this without thinking." Be- about it and I know it happened before. I can see my mistake now and pay for the DQ and potential suspension. I feel awful right now, but we'll stay around the venue in case someone like to talk or ask about it. So basically he kind of basically explained what man weaving is. You it you sort your cards so that you have equal lands and spells. And then you kind of half shuffle or not really shuffle your deck together so that it will give you a nice distribution. And John, you being a math major, you're actually like, yeah man, I know this math, but it's at, like the people have run the numbers and it's at least eight shuffles of like actual riffle or like of that sort to get a, a decent randomization of your deck. Pile of shuffling is not randomization, people. Yeah. It's not. Do not pile shuffle and present your deck to me. Otherwise, I will shuffle it several times before handing it back to you. Uh, most of the numbers that you see about shuffling come with 52 card playing card decks because that's what most people's experience are. And you need seven shuffles to ra- randomize a 52 card deck. Obviously, that number gets bigger the more cards you have in the deck and gets smaller the fewer cards you have in the deck. So if you mana weave or you pile shuffle, do a few riffles at least. Um, otherwise, or just do the full ten, seven or eight. I sometimes just do ten just to make sure that I have it sufficiently randomized, especially after sideboarding or pile shuffling, just so that there's no way that you know this mana weaving or this, this stacking of the deck shows up. What I'll do usually do sometimes too is I will actually sh- like if it's in between games I'll actually take my cards that were on the battlefield like my lands my spells my graveyard I'll shuffle them separately so that gets a little bit randomized and then I shuffle that pile into my actual thing because usually if you just stack your stuff like that you might just scoop your lands up scoop your creatures up stack them so you have like ten lands and like seven or eight creatures I just don't take any chances. Yeah, I mean pile shuffling is and mana weaving are technically kind of just no nos in general like. Ideally, you should just always just mash shuffle or riffle shuffle, depending on what your style is. But the bottom line is that really all pile shuffling and mana weaving do is a feel-good thing. Just like people who are looking at, um, for example, the Fertile uh, Thicket controversy from um, Battle for Zendikar Draft, where it is the correct play to play Fertile Thicket and bottom all five lands sometimes. Yeah. But anyways, it's just a feel-good thing. People not wanting to do that. But let's go ahead and jump on and talk about GP Minneapolis. By the way, the winner was local Alex Johnson, who won with a green-white tokens deck. Yeah, still one of the best decks in standard right now. Like, it, just the ability for that deck to go wide is insane. It's really hard to beat turn 3 Nissa, turn 4 Gideon, and it's just really absurd. Also, some spice was introduced in the green-white tokens decks uh, earlier this weekend by, it was um, Raphael Levy, wasn't it? Yeah, Raph Levy with he played two Chandra Flamecaller in his deck without a red mana source. All because Oath of Nyssa lets you cast Planeswalkers with any mana of any color. I can tell you right now if people who are playing Enchantment Destruction will 
absolutely target those O's and Nissa now instead of just sitting there. He's like, you know, it's okay, fine, whatever. They'll get to, you know, tap one white for their Gideon, whoopty freaking do. But now it's like, wait, they're jamming Chandra in here? Hell to the no. Yeah, Oath and Nissa surprisingly strong when you have these types of things that you need to worry about. So, it's like, oh, it's Ponder, but no, it actually is pretty freaking good. Yeah. So, Ian, what, what did you play for the weekend? All right. Well, for the weekend, I if you follow me on Twitter, which you should, um, I spent w- weeks trying to figure out what I wanted to play. Like usually in the past when I've gone to GPs or events like this, I've like, okay, I knew weeks out what I'm going to play. GP San Antonio a couple years ago, I knew I was going to play Obzon uh, Whip when that was a deck. Uh, going to Vegas, obviously it was sealed. Couldn't really worry about that. GP Pittsburgh I went to last year was Modern. Obviously I'm going to play Infect in Modern. But this one... Even other tournaments, like even smaller things like game day, like last year, Dragons of Tarkir game day, I was like, I'm playing Red Green Dragons. I don't care. It's a great deck. I love it. This one, I wanted to play a good deck. Wanted to make day two. Didn't know what to play. Wanted to do black-white control, but had, didn't have a whole lot of reps with it. And it just I just didn't feel good about going into the event with a deck like that that I didn't have a lot of reps on. But So I decided to go with a collected company-based deck, which is basically what I've been playing in standard this whole season. Uh, I didn't really cur- like wh- how I felt the deck sit- sat in the metagame currently, um, mostly due to a lot of the control decks, the black base control with Languish, and a lot of the X, like the minus four, minus four Grasp of Darkness and spot removal that sort was just shaking out. I just didn't really like it. So I looked at the Magic Online Championships, and uh, Magnus Lanto and Oliver Chu played a, Eldra- a Bant Eldrazi Rights deck, which essentially jams what you see with your regular collected company decks, you got your four Death Recruiter, four Reflector Mage, and your four collected company, and then kind of jams a bit of the Cryptolithrite decks in Loam Dryad, Cryptolithrite, and some uh, Eldrazi Spawn token producers like Eldrazi Sky Spawner. Also in this, obviously, Eldrazi Displacer, which is sees play in some of the regular band company decks. I didn't actually play with this deck before the event. Kind of a bad thing, but... Since I've been playing with the Bant Company and the four and three color right decks, this was essentially like a kit-bashed version of that deck where they just took the two decks, slammed them together, and spit it out. Um, I felt like going into it, I actually played a couple, like goldfished a couple hands, and actually a a lot of hands, and it just felt good. Um, I enjoyed it. It felt good. I was kind of iffy still going into the event thinking, I don't know, company might still be like, because a lot of the decks in, right now in standard have a specific hate for the company decks because they were out of the gate um, when Shadows of Innistrad came out, the best decks in the format. Like they took down both SCG events, put many people in the top eight, and people were gunning for it. They still are gunning for it. But it's still a good deck. Case in point, in GP Minneapolis, Top eight had three Bant human decks, which are another variant that I was looking at of the Bant company decks. So three placed there in Grand Prix Manchester out in England. The finals was green-white tokens versus your bog-standard Bant company list. It's still a great deck. Eighth place was Bant company. Ninth place was Bant humans out there. Fourteenth was Bant humans out there. Like it, It's still a great deck. So I feel like my choice wasn't a bad one. Yeah, it uh, turns out that putting, you know four to six mana mana's worth of creatures into play for four mana at instant speed. Still good. It's not good when you have my luck. So <laughs> no no. When I say my luck, I mean when you hit a Loam Dryad as your only collected company hit. That's pretty that's, bad. That feels bad, man. Trust me. Especially when I'm like, I need at least a good creature out of this. And I hit one Loam Dryad. I'm like, hmm. I put it on the battlefield, start putting the other five on the bottom. My opponent gives me that oh honey look and I'm like yeah, that just happened. But no, even people like LSV, who went was at GP Minneapolis and I think went 11 and th- 4. He, he went, he went 11 and 4 with Grixis Control. Yeah, which his stream voted on that he played. He was like, I don't want to play, just vote on it. They voted for Grixis Control, but someone asked him if he had played – someone asked him on a stream when he was doing his recap, like, hey, if you played a company deck, what would it be? And he said Ban Eldrazi Rights. So obviously I had a decent idea as to what deck to play. I just had a terrible luck. Yeah, it turns out that in order to do good at some of these competitive events, you not only need to pick the right deck, but you also need to run good. So, Ian, you played how many rounds at the GP? I unfortunately went two and four drop, so I played six rounds. Um, 
I did face some decent matchups that I should have won, but drew terribly on. I played some absolutely abysmal matchups, like Black Green Seasons, which was my round one. We'll talk about that in a second, but oh, that deck is terrible to play against when you're at a company deck. It's it's not fun at all. <laughs> so why'd you drop after at once you hit that fourth loss? Okay, so how it goes nowadays um, with Grand Prix, like I was saying, I'm going to make day two. So to go to day two, you have to finish six and three or better. You have to get 18 match points. Each win counts for three match points. So technically, you'll see here Magic players go X and three. Uh, so I needed to go X three or better to make day two. Once I picked up my fourth loss, I was literally dead to day two. Didn't really feel like playing more. Uh, I probably could have to try and pick up some more pro points, but as my opponent in round six reminded me, or round three or four, we were talking about it, and he was like, oh yeah, the season resets anyway, like this next week or whatever like that. So the whole points you get for Planeswalker points for that count for buys and stuff like that are going to reset before my next event anyway. So it was like, whatever, no big deal. All I would yeah. be doing was just padding my lifetime total and not the, the, uh, the yearly season total. So round one. Uh, actually, pastimes, I just want to say pastimes did a great job with the event. Um, didn't really have any complaints with them. I've heard some people like, oh, pastimes, the event organizer for the GP. They've had some issues in the past, but it was a very well smoothly run uh, event. I can't really complain too much about it. Like we heard some horrors about some of the other Grand Prix last weekend and stuff like that. Well, Luis um, put a, did a great story on his stream on uh, Monday about pastimes being very flexible with um, Oliver Two forgetting to register for the GP and did not finding out until the day of. Oh wow, that's nice of him. And and he actually sent in, in a deck list, and they were like, "Okay, he sent a deck list in. We'll register him." So <laughs> it's it's a funny story. It, you'll watch Luis's uh, vod on his Twitch stream from uh, from uh, Monday. And you'll see kind of what, what they had to go through. Anyways. Anyway, so. Round one. Round one, I played against Black Green Seasons. So, you know, it's your standard Black Green Control deck playing Seasons Past to just generate sheer value out of card advantage. Like, when you cast it, it goes to your graveyard, it stays there. Except with Seasons Past when it comes back to your hand. In the bottom of the library. Well, no, no, no. I meant the cards from your graveyard come oh, back. Oh, going back to your hand. Got it. Season's past. Yeah, it goes to the bottom of your library. But I mean, like, you get this stuff from your hand. So, terrible matchup. If I run really hot and quick, this deck can beat them down before they generate all this value. It didn't happen. I got my opponent to three in game one before they cast a Season's Past and got an Evolving Wilds, a Duress, a Grasp of Darkness, Ruinous Path, Languish, Dark Petition, and Nissa's Renewal. That's a full seven cards. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Like six mana seven cards is nutty. The ne- well, I mean, when you think about it, duress, grasp, ruinous path, and languish all just destroy me. Like he was able to duress, rip some stuff out of my hand. You know, grasp can spot kill basically everything, but reality smasher in my deck, ruinous path kills my uh, reality smasher. Languish yeah. just kills everything but Reality Smasher. Dark Petition can loot up whatever the heck he wants. Oh, right. Yeah, go grab Seasons Past. Yeah. <laughs> but and then, then he cast Renewal he, to well, get he seven got, life back. Yeah. Yeah. He actually cast Nissa's Rule the next turn, and I was just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. After that, I was just like, scoop, whatever. Basically, they have a low amount of win conditions in their deck, but they just turn value. So game two was a nice slog fest. And then my opponent stuck a Kalidus on the board, and then it was just spot removal, spot removal. Languish while Languish is on the stack, sack one of my zombies, grow Kalidus, swing for one game. Yeah, it was just bad. And yeah, <laughs> oh, one anyway. Round two, um, moved on quickly from that into against blue red mage ring control. It's kind of weird. Um, my opponent literally did nothing for game one except play mage ring network and start playing counters on it. <laughs> I just didn't play any spells. Basically, I went so I went turn two uh, Duskwatch Recruiter into a turn three Duskwatch Recruiter. Seems good. Uh, my opponent then didn't play anything turn three, so I flipped my guys. Turn four, Reality Smasher for three mana due to the two mana reduction cost of those flip recruiters. <laughs> and then yeah. I swung for 11. And my yeah. opponent was like, yeah, that's game. I'm like, sweet. That's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> game two, a uh, bit of a knockdown fight. They actually had a thing in the ice that flipped over to an Awakened Horror. Yeah. But I was able to bounce it back to his hand with a uh, 
reflector mage, and then he cast it again, and then I started. I got the uh, lock going with displacer. Yeah, the displacer reflector mage lock and limited was insane. I only Limit? managed to get it once, but in, in constructed, I'm sure it's just as disgusting. Oh, you'll be hearing about this lock a bunch. <laughs> Trust me, I've leaned on that heavily in some matchups. Yeah, but no, I like even then. Like sometimes I would just straight up not even worry about returning it to his hand. I would just like bounce his thing in the ice to just you know, ah, reset your counters. Anyway, won that game, went one one. That was a really quick round for me. Uh, round three, played the first of my three aristocrat matches, which is says a lot about the bracket I ended up in. Yeah. Uh. Game one, Eldrazi Sky Spawners carried it home, just chip chip shot at him to death, hit him for two, hit him for two, hit him for four, 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 and then stuck my third one for lethal in the next one. Because yeah. that deck, it was Obzon Riskrath. They, they play no main board removal for flyers. So yeah. once I was able to get those down, it was basically just like, make sure that I stall the board out and don't get domed out. Yeah, then Speaking they bring of, in probably like two or three uh, clip wings in after that. Uh, I didn't see any clip wings, mm. but they do bring in some spot removal, but Fair. either way, they built out their board in game two way quicker than I did and were able to just drain me out from five. I basically had lethal on them next turn, but they were able to just pop me out. Game three, they got me on a bonkers Coco hit on my end step to, uh, hit two Zulport cutthroats when they already had one in play and an Antuco husk. That next is turn, next turn they just hit, next turn they just went blister pod, then uh, what's it called catacomb sifter and just drained me out from ten. <laughs> yeah, that's really really hard to do in that deck, but man. Yeah, getting domed from being at ten life and it's like um cast this cast this sack this sack this sack this sack this scry 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 sack this hit you for lethal. I'm like okay yeah okay handshake. <laughs> Then yeah, the actually, aristocrats decks are always they're really fun to watch, but they can kill in some of the most fantastic ways possible. Um, surprisingly enough, I don't think any of them were playing the brood monitor combo of it. They were just literally going for value aristocrat. I mean, that's thing. totally fair. I mean, the brood monitor combo just takes a few turns to get there, anyways. Yeah, I never saw displacers uh, from my opponent. In so what any was the of white these. for? Was it no? I, he had white, but I don't, I didn't see the displacer. I okay. just never saw it. They. I don't know. I just guess they never drew it. Um, Fair. Round four was actually a decent matchup. Red Green Ramp is actually a decent matchup because these decks can hit fast and quick if you need them to. If you don't, they stick World Breakers like they did in game one. They took I got them to eight and then they stuck two World Breakers and it was just you know game over yeah, after that. World point. Breaker is a is a house to try and get through in any God. format. It's just five seven I, reach. How do you beat it? I hate that card with a freaking passion, man. <laughs> Standard and modern. Yeah. Tron, Tron plays it now. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> game two, I just, I don't even actually know how I, how I got it, but my notes were explosive start, and it went, I hit him to 15, then hit him to nine, then two, and then lethal. So yeah. I don't know the combination of how that happened, but my opponent didn't touch me. <laughs> Probably just played a bunch of ram spells. Yeah, like when I mentioned game one, how he just got the world breakers and stuff like that. Like I have like 17, 15, 13, 8 for him. And on my side of damage, it just says nine. <laughs> <laughs> That's always sad. I think he might have hit he might have hit Ulamog or something. I don't remember. It was just like, uh, why? Yeah. But actually, I, I did see that deck is playing a bunch of tireless trackers, which I thought was interesting. Like. That's all he had in game two was Tireless Trackers. That I mean, yeah, Tireless it. Tracker is a solid card, especially when you have the ability to, you know, get many lands in play and have the mana to crack them all. Oh, yeah. And then just be like, make a giant beater and swing him in. Yeah. Her in. Correct, correction. Yeah. Her. Tireless it, Trackers. It is a she. Yep. So game three had some, I actually was able to get some of my uh, Declaration Stones out to, they fought through their exiles and had some board wipes and just really had it against me they had timely uh fiery impulses and other removal for me right pausing it there because uh toilet did a weird thing anyway starting now so yeah they just had it and eh, what can you do really right so that was me going one and three at that point after round four so at this point 
I am literally playing for my tournament life here on out. I basically need to go win out the rest of the day, win <laughs> five matches in a row. Tough feat, but... Not impossible. Not it's impossible. been done. No, no, not impossible. And I definitely feel like the deck could do it. I just needed to hit good matchups and play tight right? over the rest of the day. And I was feeling the deck. Like, in terms of the draws, they weren't necessarily there that I wanted, but it was definitely... I. You could feel the power of the deck, but it just wasn't kind of showing up for you. Well, it did, yeah, and it did. It did in round two, and it did sometimes in rounds three and four when I would win with the deck. Like when I would win with the deck, like I won with the deck. Yeah, there were and the other games that I won where it was just like okay, I kind of won a little bit of a drag out fight. Like we'll talk about for round five here in a second. All right, but. No, the deck, it's one of those things like right now in standard, you can play what you want to play. Like it's a very rock, paper, scissors format. Play what's comfortable. And this was comfortable to me. And I was feeling that in terms of like I wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm winning just because, you know, the deck is amazing, but I'm not comfortable playing it. This was like I'm winning with the deck when I'm doing okay, even though I was one in three. So I went up against a little bit of a brew in round five. I hadn't seen this deck around really before but it's blue black aristocrats i think the last time we saw this was around um the either pro tour battle for zendikar or it was like pro tour um or it was like in in between like then and pro tour shadows because yeah. i remember hearing about a blue black aristocrats deck with zulaport cutthroats and natugo husks and whirler rogues and just using those to get you down to zero yeah and hang a back walker because now for those not familiar necessarily with Whirler Rogue, it's two blue blue two for a two two. Human rogue artificer. When it enters the battlefield, put two one one colorless thopter to- artifact creature tokens with flying onto the battlefield. And as another ability, it says tap two untapped artifacts you control. Target creature can't be blocked this turn. That but, alone says Nantuko Husk cannot be blocked this turn. <laughs> yeah, and when Husk is becoming a sixteen sixteen because of all the creatures on your side of the board, that ends up being very, very good for you. Yeah, 16, 16 unblockable. It's what it's designed to do. So the Eldrazi Displacers that I have main deck in this are incredible because you can blink away the tokens, you can blink away, or you can just bounce, you know, your displace your uh, their, your opponent's Hangerback Walker so it dies without getting those lovely little tokens from it, which is nice. So anyway, game one, this this is a hell of a... Uh, I, I, I always like to keep my... um life pad totals with me because I like going over and reviewing it and it comes handy for stuff like this. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. My opponent scooped after I had written down 17 life total changes on my side of the board. By the way, I ended at 32 life when he scooped to me. My opponent uh, scooped at 25. That's pretty <laughs> silly. The thing was, is I was, it was a knockdown drag out board stall. I was able to have enough of a board state where I could sack five creatures to Ormondal and still have six creatures on the battlefield. That is really that that says a lot about what was going on in that game. Yeah, it was an insanely long game. It took like twenty or thirty minutes or something like that. Um, but mostly it was one of those things where I would hit swing at him with Ormondal for nine. He would block with something, but he had three cutthroats on the battlefield. So I it would essentially be like I hit him for nine, I gain nine. He gains three, I lose three. So it was almost like net, like net gain and loss of six life. So like we were, I was hitting him, but our life titles were both going up. Yeah, the the strangeness of dueling cutthroats. Yeah, so it was one of those like maybe I shouldn't have been attacking a whole lot until I was able to start removing stuff. But it was one of those I got the displacer mage lock on his combo, and once he saw that. That what you want to do when you if you have Displacer Mage and you're locking out the combo is on their upkeep, you pick a target and you lock them out of that target. The first one I targeted was obviously Nintuko Husk and got it out. out. So that way, what you want to do is you do it on their upkeep or, your, or their draw step before they go to their main phase. So that way, they have it in their hand and they can't cast it that turn. Yeah. I made the mistake once of letting them go to their main step, main phase. They cast one. And I bounced. They, they already had one on the battlefield, and they cast it. And I was like, crap, I meant to bounce it before he could do that. So anyway, you pick the husk, and then the, alt, and the turn after that, you bounce the cutthroat, and then you bounce the husk, and then you bounce the cutthroat, and then you bounce the husk. So basically, you keep them off of their combo pieces. The only time you really have to be afraid is if they hit collect a company, if they have them. This isn't like the black 
the, the variance playing green. Um, that will screw your uh, bounce cycle up. Yeah. But it's a really powerful bounce cycle if you know how to do it. And with Cryptolite, rights out, all your creatures become additional lands. So I was able to, I would have access to like 16 mana every turn to just bounce at will. Yeah. But it was still not enough. So anyway, game two, I got greedy in one of my few misplays of the weekend. Um, I had my opponent at 16. I had one Reality Smasher on the board and I was like, okay, cool. I had one in my hand, but I also had a Declaration of Stone and a Eldrazi Sky Spawner. I decided to slam the second Reality Smasher to hit him for 10, take him to 9. Keep in mind, I was at 12 life at the time. So, you know, my opponent really didn't have a whole lot on the battlefield. I, he had a Nantuko Husk and that was it. I should have used my Declaration of Stone on his Nantuko Husk, use a Sky Spawner. Next turn, he plays two or three things out, plays a Whirl of Rogue out, plays... Um, a uh, cutthroat and next thing I know I'm just domed from 12 so <laughs> yeah standard is full of these weird interactions where suddenly you can just be like oh yeah I'm in a great place and I'm dead yeah I lost from 10 12 and then you'll see next game I've lost a couple times from 14 and 10 it's just like ridiculous <laughs> but anyway so next turn I got the displacer mage lock on him and just chipped away at his life total and ended up beating him and he was a really great opponent really cool guy uh, local and it was nice nice really good games i like really chit chatty but like in a nice kind of back and forth like hey we're having a good time playing some good games here it was it was fun it was fun magic and i was just asking about his deck afterwards he's like yeah i like this brew and i'm like dude that brew is kind of ridiculous and i love it <laughs> yeah it's really really cool when you can make unblockable you know 2020s oh yeah it's hilarious <laughs> so round six i mentioned three aristocrat decks here is the third aristocrat matchup i mean i don't know what you can really say the aristocrat matchup is versus these bant eldrazi right decks they're very now i know when i was playing the four color rights that even if you read a lot of articles on them they say that you're essentially goldfishing your opponent yeah. like both people are you, you're very inter, uninteractive games of magic they're trying to hit their combo first now my deck doesn't play those kind of combos. It's just playing rights as value to, like I said, get those early or be able to play a lot of mana or get that displacer lock rolling. It's hard when they, they can dome you out. My opponent, so my opponent game one had a really risky keep. I don't know why he would do it because we were both at two and three at this point. He, I rolled him straight up, just, just demolished him game one. Like, I don't even know how, but it, I, his life totals went 17, eight, five dead. He yeah. kept a he kept a one lander with a loam dryad. I mean, if that was a one lander with like an elvish mystic or a Llanowar elf, you know, one green taps for green. That's a whole different issue. But yeah, loam dryad, you need you need friends. Yeah, he but he had an El, he had an El, he said I had an elvish visionary in hand, so I was hoping to just pull a, peel a land in like the first two or three cards to be able to just go okay, cool, loam dryad has me at three mana now, blah blah blah. blah but didn't happen for him. Next game was a bit of a fight, just long long game and I, I actually had him on displacer softlock and i didn't have a crypto with rights out at the time so i was really relying on my mana for the bouncing and i was able enough i was just able to keep him off of his stuff enough until he hit an end step collect a company and i wasn't able to bounce all of his creep all of his pieces to the puzzle and he was able to dome me out from 14 yeah that is that is pretty <laughs> silly Basically sacking creatures to fireball me to yeah. death. It's just like barf. So then my problem, my other, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't necessarily say it's my biggest misplay of the weekend, but it definitely cost me the weekend. Um, what, right, so what ended up happening is I'm not on the, the typical Banal Drazi rights list. I do have uh, two tragic arrogance in my sideboard, namely to, if I ever went up against the token decks, just and such. Keep in mind all also have Dragonlord Silumgar, so like the optimal line is, you know, you tragic arrogance, you let your opponent have one more turn with their planeswalker, then you Dragonlord Silumgar steal it away, kind of thing. And those those matchups, I actually never really brought in Dragonlord Silumgar over the weekend. It was, was kind of sad, but yeah. oh well. Anyway, um, so what ended up happening is I don't remember exactly what turn it was, but I was able to I took a lot of damage off my pain lands. Now that's a, the problem with this deck to play the colorless mana is that you use pain lands, so. I took at least five or six points. I took like, I think, four to five damage off my pain lands. 
And then I cast Air, Tragic Arrogance. Now, the problem is, is that I think I cast it one turn too soon because he did have Cryptolithrites out and I knew that he could tap his creatures for mana. So the weird thing is, I think he, he actually screwed up in this as well in that he could have made me pick which creature he kept. Did he have a husk in play? He had a husk in play, and he also had a catacomb sifter. I know, it wasn't a catacomb sifter. He had a husk, two scion tokens, and a blister pot in play. Yeah, I think what you're supposed to do in that situation is sack every- down to the husk, because you're never going to let him keep the husk. Right. He didn't sack down to the husk. He let mm. me pick. A, he let me pick a token. <laughs> yeah. So he ended up with scion token, scion token, and you had what, like a just like a. Well, no, 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 no. I actually, actually, no. I picked the blister pod. Oh which yeah. I think so he would just go down to one. Yeah. He would just go down to one creature, so he didn't have two. But since he had the cryptolith right out, he was able to tap. He's like, I can tap these in response for mana. I'm like, yeah, it's this is on the stack right now. I've cast this. You can tap your foot your mana off your creatures. Yeah. In response, before I pick. So like, you know, you cast it, they get the ability to respond to it. In response to my casting of it, he taps his creatures for mana and then let me resolve the spell, picking who, who yeah. which died and everything uh, Real like quick, that. just in case people don't know, Tragic Arrogant is three white-white sorcery, and then you pick for each player a creature, artifact, enchantment, and planeswalker they control to keep, and everybody sacks all the rest. Yeah, so this is a way to get around hexproof creatures. Yeah. Um, basically, you pick a non-hexproof creature, and your opponent has to sacrifice a, a creature you, you would not normally be able to target. So This is the, yeah. I think, second time this effect has been seen since Cataclysm, which is a much more powerful version of this effect, because it's each player picks a permanent type, so you basically sack everybody down to one land. It's brutal. Yeah. But Tragic Arrogance is still fun. It's yeah, because it's all not, because you get to keep all your lands. But anyway, so he did that. He floated three mana, and he had one mana open on his board. So then he's like, okay, tragic arrogance resolves. I'm like, cool, whatever. Put it in the graveyard. It's like, so we haven't cha- moved uh, phases, right? I'm like, no, we're still in the same phase. He's like, okay, with that three on the stack, tap, collect the company. Yeah. I'm like, crap. <laughs> he hits two Zulaport cutthroats off of it. Then he, and next turn he's able, he had an, or- he had a Westvale Abbey in play already, but he actually had two. So I don't remember the exact board state. I just, all I know is that next turn my opponent basically dumps his hand onto the battlefield. I have no way to like recover from this kind of thing like that. Like I was able to you know stick a reality smasher on the battlefield, which I had in hand next, but he just starts he had like enough lands and with the rights and the one or two creatures out. He was able to like stick another husk, another cutthroat, another blister pod, and another catacomb sifter all out there and stuff like that. And the next turn I'm sitting there thinking, oh God, I have one turn to deal with this stuff. I don't, I pass the turn back to him and I'm sitting there thinking and I already do the math in my head. I'm at 12 life and he had two ways to beat me. He could have sacked his creatures to Westvale Abbey, yeah, made Ormondal. With the sack things, he would have taken me down from 12 to like four and then been able to hit me for lethal in the air because I didn't have any flyers on the board. He just was like, play another creature to like, play another creature two, and then sack me out from yeah. twelve. So I mean, I lost games two and three, losing from fourteen and twelve. Yeah. It's I think what I the, my, my issue is like I said, my one misplay I think is that I tragic arrogance one turn too soon. Yeah, but I mean a lot of that is kind of just information that you've gotten in hindsight, which is oh no no <laughs> yeah no it's it's Roddy it's definitely Roddy thinking so it's result results oriented thinking there but. Knowing my opponent had like three or four cards in hand, knowing he had the crypto right out on the battlefield, I, I asked uh, some people who are watching, name my girlfriend who was there watching me as well. I'm like, would you have pulled the trigger? And she doesn't really play a lot of standard, but she's like, I probably would have tragic arrogance right there too. Um, problem with that is, I just it's one of those like maybe I should have cast the turn later, maybe I shouldn't have, but you know, hindsight, it looked it was definitely a turn too soon. Um, yeah. But it's definitely something I can learn and take in further future evaluations of board states and be like, okay, do I have to pull the trigger on this now? Or can I wait a turn, hope my opponent commits more to the board and then ruin him? I mean, if, if we want to go full results, results oriented, you know, would you, would, would you have tragic arrogance with two Zulaport cutthroats in play? Uh, 
<laughs> I mean, well, because I can't think of a board. I think the only boards that I can think of where I would I would actually try to arrogance my opponent with two cutthroats in play. Another thing is too. Maybe I should have even sideboarded in Tragic Arrogance against yeah. a deck that's looking to sack me out like that because they could true. just you know hit collect a company and then sack me down yeah. a whole bunch of stuff before that. So I mean, hell, he could have potentially yeah sacked me down to like next to nothing before the Tragic Arrogance resolved. He could have cast that collected company as it was resolving, gotten those um, cutthroats, sacked his own creatures down because he had his husk out. Yeah, um, it's just one of those things. You know, you look back and you're like, okay. I definitely had ways to play this differently. Yeah. But losing that made me go 2-4. I dropped. I was definitely salty at the time. Um, it's hard not to feel salty after you go to a tournament and you just drop. And it's just like this was useless. Oh, no, no. It was. It was very disheartening because I, re- I really enjoyed the, the deck. The deck was good. deck was great. Yeah. Um, like kind of TLDR at the weekend, like the, the event. Deck was great. List was great. My luck sucked. I made 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 one or two misplays. I feel like, and from some other friends and stuff like that who are watching, you know, people who recognize me from other chats and stuff end up watching over. My girlfriend would watch over my shoulder a couple times as well, and they said it seemed like you played the best you could with what you were drawing. And if that's the best takeaway I can get from the weekend, I am perfectly okay with that. If I played a relatively tight um, tight game and just had bad luck. It happens. It's magic. It's variance. So I can't really be too upset about that. But the funny part isn't surprisingly enough. It's it's weird what will bring you down from being salty. So I was like, I just needed to get out of the convention hall. And so my girlfriend and I walked out. And on the way out, I just like I wanted to find a space like to get some air. But people are idiots and jerks. Oh, people listening at home, don't be the person if you're a smoker. When signs say smoke 20 feet away from the entrance, don't smoke literally right outside the main entrance to the convention hall, right outside where the doors are for like where people go in and out of. It's it's not fun walking through a wall of cigarette smoke. Yeah, don't do, don't be that guy. Anyway, so we walked like down and around part of the convention hall and walk out a door. And as I'm walking, like it was a double set of doors and stuff like that. As I'm pushing open the first set of vestibule doors, I look, I'm like, oh shit, it's Gabby and LSV. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, hey, guys, what's up? And they're like, oh, hey, Dix, what's going on? I'm like, 2-4 drop. And I had my pen in my hand. I was flipping back and forth and clicked my thing and introduced him to my girlfriend. Yep. And it was just like, oh, yeah, how you guys doing? Like, still doing good, blah, blah, blah. Just like a little tiny chit-chat real quick. I'm like, oh, you guys go back. Have fun. Uh, best of luck in the rest of the rounds. I'm just going to go chill out. And they're like, okay, see you. So just, you know, one of those things, like you run into people like that. I mean, we'll get into like why GPs are great in a second. And that's part of the reason why. But I mean. I obviously I mo- like I moderate both their chats in Twitch and stuff like that. So they were like it was like the first time I got to see them all weekend. Of course they see me right after I'm <laughs> tilting out after dropping yeah. from the Grand Prix. But it was like, hey, put on the face, you're good, you got this. Yeah. But it was fine. Um I'm definitely looking forward to my next one, which is gonna be Grand Prix Portland. Um that's after Eldrazi Moon comes out. So Eldritch Moon those- Eldritch Moon, right. Uh, did I say Eldrazi Moon? You you literally said Eldrazi Moon. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, we're Emmercool. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag we're Emmercool. No, um, no, after uh, Eldritch Moon. Uh, so who knows if company decks are still going to be a thing. My guess is they will be. Yeah. Just probably not exactly what we know now. So anyway, after that, we just relaxed the rest of the afternoon. Um, there was a bunch of stuff we wanted to do in the evening with some friends of mine. So I didn't bother running a side event or two, which I could have done. Uh, but the next day on Sunday... I had all day to run side events. So I did a, a on-demand modern event. They basically go up to the desk, register for an event. It's an eight-man Swiss pod, uh, single elimination. Um, and the further up you go in the thing, the more uh, prize wall tickets you get. So I went 2-0 split. Uh, basically, I faced off against eight whack goblins. Uh, my opponent actually had the win. Like I, so I played it in fact. Both times I beat my opponent, like both games I won, my opponent literally had lethal the next turn. Wait, you, you said eight rack goblins? Eight whack. Eight whack goblins. Yeah, eight whack goblins. For those who are wondering what where that name comes from, it's a play on the old eight rack mon, like black deck that you know will hand attack life. Oh, I see where they're going with this now. Yeah, eight whack is it plays four goblin bushwhacker from original Zendikar block, which has a kicker cost, and then it has. 
reckless bushwhacker from uh, Oath of the Gatewatch. That is where it plays. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a one of Saffron Olive's naming conventions, but I think it's cute and funny. It is really but basically funny. basically what those creatures do is um, when you cast the Goblin Bushwhacker with its kicker cost, which is red. It's red for a one one with haste. I think it red. No, it's. Hold on one second. No, no, it's it's red for a one one, and then its kicker is red. So it's red, red if you kick it, and then all your creatures get haste and plus one plus zero, oh, except for the bushwhacker. Right, and then the reckless bushwhacker is the two has, one haste for three, surge it, for one and a red. Same which, effect when it's when it's surged out, it gives everybody that. So basically, it's designed to just crap a bunch of creatures out. Have legion loyalist, which has battalion, which everyone gets like plus one plus zero oh, first strike. It's, it's plus one plus one first strike trample i think and can't be blocked by tokens yeah it's stupid but <laughs> i won because infect is amazing and fast we already talked about that in another episode so go look listen to that episode if you want to hear me ramble on about infect anyway round two i played uh, somebody who had just picked up and he it was kind of annoying the guy constantly kept saying oh yeah i just put this together last night just picked it up last night um, like grixis control oh that's not a deck you want to pick up and meet like just the day before let's, let's put it this way <laughs> Oh, happy day. Oh, joyous day when your opponent goes turn one, suspend ancestral. <laughs> oh, man. For, for, for a quick deck like Infect, that just has to be just like licking your lips and just being like forest however, elf. However, forest that, elf go. However, however, that game I had mulled to four. What was your four card hand? It was like, what was it? Uh, Ink Moth, Nexus, Pendle Haven, and two pump spells. That's it's not a great hand, but it's better than going to three. Yes, absolutely. I would keep that hand if I was at four. No, because I had a no lander seven and all but one lander six. Both mulligans. A no infect creature five. Yeah, feels like a mulligan. Yeah, it was a it was a mulligan. It wasn't a good hand to keep. And the four I just mentioned. So anyway, knocked that was actually a long drag out game. Like Inf- I actually played an amazingly long game until he started picking off things. Surprisingly enough, Goblin Dark Dwellers and Kalidus, now modern all-stars in that deck. Oh, yeah. Kalidus is played in Jund. Oh, no, and, and in Grixis Control. But anyway, so game two, I just straight up raffle stomp him yeah. and get the combo out. Game three, my opponent dresses me? No, inquis- he inquisitions me. Okay. So he inquisitioned a Kozlex me. Uh, I have... Become immense, two land, and then a uh, Apostle's Blessing and a Dispel. So of those five, he can only take Apostle's Blessing or Dispel. I already played a land and a creature. I think you take the Dispel. You 100% take the Dispel. He took Apostle's Blessing, and I basically shat my pants in glee. <laughs> I, I know that's like that's a little. Did he have double removal spell or something? <laughs> He had counter spells because I was because then I drew a uh, Gataxian probe and saw his hand, and he had counters. He had like a mana leak and something else, and I was able to just bite out a couple of turns. I chipped in for one or two, and then he got a creature down, so I didn't bother chipping in. And then I think I stuck a blighted agent, and then went for lethal one turn and cast one pump. Sp- I kicked. Did I kick? No, I didn't kick it. I. I was able to just pound it, pile enough um, pump on him, and then counter it out with the single dispel he knew about. Yeah. He's like, I had to try this, and I'm like, yep, dispel. Because if he had left Apostle's Blessing in his hand, the final pump, the lethal pump, would not have resolved. Yeah. So he screwed up. And I told him, I, I, I told him after the game, I'm like, look, I know you're just learning the deck, but when you inquisition me, you absolutely 100% rip counter spells away from Infect. You do not let Infect have counter spells. Yeah, you're just never. You're it's, not gonna have a good time. Because I I, I waited till like turn five to kill him. Yeah. Because I wait till I had enough mana on board that I was able to pump with a thing, cast become immense, and be able to protect my become immense. Yeah. So. That's really anyway, silly. Anyways, I, got, uh, I went to game instead of uh, playing a third round. My opponent was a John opponent. Um, I knew I was one round one so quickly I was able to scout all my other opponents and knew who what they were playing. Cause I just like glanced down the table I'm like all right Jund two Grixis control two Obzon control or Obzon company. Anyway, Jund guy goes comes up and says do you want to just split? I'm like yes. 
Yeah. So Jund is just removal deck in the format, and it's yes. I don't know. Like, in fact, has to have a bad matchup against them. It it does. It's it's not fun to play that game. It's a slog. Um. So anyway, first place of those gets like two hundred some tickets. Second place gets like a hundred. So we split. I got one hundred fifty tickets out of it. Yeah. Which is bad. So then I played a two-headed giant event with my girlfriend. We didn't have an amazing pool, but she basically was playing like a standard deck in terms of green-white. She had like Bygone Bishop, uh, Thalia's Lieutenant, Tireless Tracker. Seems good. Seems good. Yeah. I was playing Black-Red uh, Madness with no rares. Yeah. Still um, It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. We went 2-1-1. One, and one. We basically went 2-1, and one, sat down against our final opponents, and then we're like, if we draw, we get the same amount of tickets. So me and one of the other opponents got up. We looked at the thing. We count, counted it over. A judge comes up and says, yes, we have the prize structure set up in a way so that you guys can draw out and still get the same amount of prizes. We're like, sweet. <laughs> so essentially, for two headed giant, you each get an amount of tickets. The three and one gets 200 tickets per, and then two and two gets 20 tickets per. So that's 440 tickets in the prize pool. If you went two and a one, everybody gets 110 tickets, still the same for 440 in the prize pool. For that game so we just drew out then we played out got 110 points each pulled them all together we got a booster box which we're going to close out with maybe a pack or two cracking oh that crack a pack sound oh yes <laughs> we're doing our first ever one today because i have like 18 packs i need to crack <laughs> um so anyway it was great we went actually right after this to a viper draft with gabby sparts and a bunch of people from our chat some people in the chat and moderators and stuff so to wrap things up, why do you want to go to a GP? John, you've been to a couple of G- You've been to a- how many GPs? Uh, the ones that I've actually been in the room for was GP Nashville uh, late last fall. It was a team sealed for Kanza Tarkir. Um, I didn't play in that one. I just went and walked around the floor, and it was awesome. And then GP Vegas, where you and I met in person. Yeah, so why do you want to go to GPs? I've played in four, been to four. They're insanely fun if you love magic. Um, like, I've kind of dropped names... Like you meet pros and stuff from the community, like between matchups and stuff like that, I'd walk up to the front of the area where everyone would kind of congregate, and I just meet up with the MTA cat, the girls from MTA cast who were on a tear. Both got pro points, by the way, which is yeah, insane. it was like ten three and one and eleven and four. No, no, uh, they faced each other, so they each had a draw. Oh, did they draw? I thought they won. No, they had a draw okay. already going into their matchup. Okay, it was like. It was 10-3-1 and one and 10-4-1. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, Megan at 11-3-1 uh, finished, like, 34th place Above, in the event. Above uh, LSV. Above LSV, which is, <laughs> hey, man, she was stoked. Yeah. But, so, but you go there, you meet all these people, like, you meet pros, you meet community members, podcasters, like, uh, um, I got to hang out with a bunch of people, like, uh, Vorthos Mike, who, uh, Mike Lineman, he... Minneapolis native loves, 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 loves art and actually got to hang out with him and a bunch of the artists and stuff like that. Like uh, Victor Dominguez, guy who did Avicen's Judgment, the brand new uh, Eternal Masters Maelstrom Wanderer art. Which that art amazing. is really good. It actually gives a better scale for what is uh, what that what that card is look like because that guy uh, is not tiny. <laughs> now he's done a couple other ones like Tajuru Pathwarden and Breakneck Rider. He's a, ver- he's a relatively newer artist. So. Yeah. His art's amazing. You're gonna. He's already. He kind of was saying like he's getting more work from them, so it's going to be awesome. Um, Jeff Miracola, who did a lot of old school, like older Magic cards and stuff like that. Uh, Bouncing Beebles. <laughs> I like that one. It's from the uh, the Ursus Destiny. It's a yeah. That one. Donate. Frantic Search. Mm-hmm. Underground River. A bunch of slivers and something you love. Original Manamorphos art. Yeah, Manamorphos is a really really sweet card. Yeah, he oh. did the original Manamorphos art. Um, yep. Aaron Miller, who's a newer artist as well, uh, Chain to the Rocks, Giselle Goldmain from the uh, Commander set, the yep. Mono White Commander deck, Herald of Anafenza, mm-hmm. and a Johnny Mentor of Heroes, the Green White one from the Theros block. Yep. Um, they were all hilarious with. We had a bunch of drinks. I actually did some car bombs with them. <laughs> just kind of fun. Um, but yeah, also, you just go meet new people. Like John said, I met John first in person at GP Vegas. Like we've been seeing each other in chat rooms and stuff for ages. Yeah. On Twitch and I was and and on Twitter and stuff like that, following each other and chatting about magic randomly, sporadically. And we're like, I was like, hey, I need a roommate. And John had a room. Yeah. And I was able to 
tag along with him and it was a great weekend. I mean, sh- and hell, look at us now. We're, we're doing a podcast together 14 <laughs> episodes in. Yeah. So you never know who you're going to meet at a Grand Prix. And the last note I have on here is the magic. Just, just go f- to play. You can jam side events. You can play in the main event. Modern, standard, if it's a standard event and it's not your thing, grab your favorite modern deck and literally just chain as many cues together as you want for those on-demand ones. Like if you if you have a good deck, you can just like chain like three or four in a row and get like two booster boxes out of the dang thing for like I think it was like fifteen dollars. Yeah. Like I paid between me and my girlfriend for the two side events, we pulled all of our tickets together. We spent fifty five dollars and got a booster box booster box and a pack out of it. So thirty seven packs for fifty five dollars. Yeah. That's straight value if you live anywhere near one. Just and just the environment alone is great. Yeah, they have they have uh they have cues for every format that you can think of for draft, standard, modern. They sometimes even have legacy events. They have the Super Sunday series that's always on the Sundays. And it is just really, really fun. Just I, go to go to a GP. It's it'll you will not have more fun at a magic event. It's it's almost a like they're they're getting to the point nowadays where they're almost mini conventions and it's great. Like I can't tell you the fu- how funny it was here. Like Commander Pods 13, 14, 15, and 16 now firing. Yeah. It's like, geez, yeah. somebody wants to get their commander on. Oh, yes. I mean, commander at GPs for, for tickets is a little little weird, but... Nah, people are just going to play their decks. Yeah. And, like, and, if, and if that's not your thing, you can find people just to play like side events or just like find also, an open table and just sit down. The booze cube yeah. is there. <laughs> um, a bunch of people I didn't actually get a chance to. I know Aaron uh, Campbell and those guys are, and a bunch of those other people like Mike and the booze cube guys were all... That. I actually got to meet uh, empty the living cards. Yeah, that was so cool. I geeked out. He's like, "Oh yeah, I just do some stuff." I'm like, "What do you do?" He's like, "Well, I do MTG living cards." I'm like, "You're him?" <laughs> like I geeked out. Yeah. So there are a great. lot of lot of awesome people in the Magic community. So I think we can close this out with we have time for one cracker pack, maybe two. We'll see. We'll 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 do look at the uncommons and we'll look at the rares yeah. and if they're if they're straight jank, we'll look at the pick order for. Yeah. Um, yeah, on Monday yeah. We, my LGS did a uh, wacky draft or a chaos draft, and so I I, I need some I need some uh, just regular old shadows drafting. <sighs> they smell delicious, man. Oh, I believe okay. you. So our uncommons are pour over the pages. All right, that's good. Not a bad one if you're going for the in the mill deck. Uh, Bound by Moonsilver. All not right. bad at all. Murderer's Axe, which. Eh, I've had some okay. good experiences with Murderer's Axe, but it's kind of only in a few decks. You need a you need a lot of madness cards to really make it worth it. It, it it plays well in the green white humans deck because they like equipment and i have cat i have this is a play that i've done i've had a flyer in play with murderer's axe equipped and my card in hand was from under the floorboards so i re-equipped the axe to the creature it was equipped to to madness out from under the floorboards on my turn yes that's the thing you can do you can re-equip it to the same creature okay so our our rare or should i say mythic is Ooh. a is a mind rack demon mind rack demon is really sweet i don't know if i first pick it I played it in Limited a few weeks ago, and it was really good. It's really hard to kill. Like, a 4-5 yeah. Flample is just so yeah, four, five, difficult. Yeah, 4-5 Flying Trample is really good. Uh, we ha- Our dual face card is Hinterland Logger, or bo- the Boss Lady. Yeah. She's, she's, really- she's, she's good. She's, like, I wouldn't p- first pick her, but she's solid. Yeah, she's really good. Um, and we have a foil, but it's nothing, it's nothing really to write home about, but it's a foil island. Ooh, I mean, foil islands always, always get bank. It's it's a 286 Jonas Dorio. It's the one that has the water spouts in the background of the lighthouse. Ooh, that's pretty good. That's a good one. Yeah, like so we got that, that one. Uh, just flipping over the commons, eh, not much. I anyway, mean, I next- think it's between Bound by Moon Silver out of that pack or the Mind Rack Demon, depending on where I you want to go. Probably just pull Mind Rack Demon. Yeah, just I mean, because Bound by Moon Silver is hard to say no to. I mean, Mind Rack Demon is just so solid. Yeah, man, it's the second. Oh man, we got. I have like no like I I've seen like with with the uh the checklist cards you don't see a lot of lands but we got a forest nice cool. nice uh, so we got obsessive Skinner yep good card one one uh for two it enters the battlefield put a one one counter target creature in delirium at the beginning of opponent's upkeep four more cards blah 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 you know delirium uh you put a plus one plus one counter target creature great if you're in the delirium deck for just building things huge uh ravenous bloodseeker yeah. Yeah, he's fine. Uh, call the Bloodline. That's if really you, good. Just, if you like, that is a legit first pickable card. If you want to just be like, screw it, we're on this plan. Yeah, it's harder to. It, I mean, I like getting past Call the Bloodline 
because yeah. then you kind of know that no one to your right. You know it's it. o- you know it's open, but yeah. Uh, so our, our our dual face card. I'll skip skip to this one. So the rare, our dual face card is autumnal gloom. That's the two and a green enchantment. Put the top card of your library in your graveyard. Delirium. You flip it, and the flip side is trample hexproof four four. I think I've seen ancient of the equinox in play. The, the flip side, like two times maybe. Yeah, I saw it once. So our rare. I think this might be the pick here. Is bygone bishop. Uh, okay, so we've got bishop Skinner. Bishop Skinner, Bloodseeker, Call the Bloodline, Autumnal Any Gloom. Any notable commons? All right. Just the Wind, Emissary of Sleepless, Jason Scrutiny, Seagraph Scav, Root Out, Ron Harkle, Reduced to Ashes, Rabid Bite, Alms of the Vein. Yeah, I think it's probably Bishop, depending on yeah. what you like. Like, I think everybody would – I think Bishop is probably still the pick. Um, Call the Bloodline is, is hard for me to ignore because I've had so much fun with Call the Bloodline. But I think that the best deck in the format is some form of the of the delirium decks, whether you're green, white, white, black, green, black, or the or all three. So I might just take bishop there. Yeah, bishop I think is still pretty good. I have I have passed a bishop for um, a card. I passed it for um, pack one pick one Uvamold mysteries. That's legit. That's that's definitely legit. the mystery. The pluring clues decks are insane. Yeah, the clue decks are great. Anyways, <sighs> we got one more. All right. We Let's crack for one another more. one. Yeah, we got one more. We got. We always have time for one more. One more pack. Just one more pack, man. Yeah, man. Ooh. Oh, ooh. Man. <laughs> oh. Worst foil ever. Anyway. What's the foil? Spoil. There's a foil. Spoiler alert. Oh, I got another island, too. Man, that's three lands. <laughs> Ripping these lands like nobody's business here. There you go. All right, so our uncommons are Olivia's Bloodsworn. Okay. That's the 1-1, one, 2-1 one, one flyer. Can't block, but you can get... Target vampire, vampire haste. haste. Yep. Uh, Griff spoon. Card has been surprisingly good. Mono white all star. Yeah. I did not expect it to be as good as it was in limited. It is. It has surprised me at every turn. I had it in pre-release and it actually did work in my green white humans deck. Yeah. Um, pack guardian. Pack guardian's absurd. Okay. Uh, our rare is eerie interlude. Definitely not that one. Yeah, not taking interlude first. Our flip card is solitary hunter. Yeah. So solid three four for four flips into a five six. Brings the beef. Yeah, if you need him, if you need a four, the three four beater, that's, he's not bad to take. And our foil is a rare foil. Ooh. But it's probably the like the biggest fart circle foil you could possibly hope for. Incorrupted Graphstone. Ah. <laughs> that's the two mana artifact. Corrupted Graphstone enters the battlefield tapped. Tap two. Choose a color of card in your graveyard. Add one mana of that color to your mana pool. Yeah, I had the opponent play it in our uh, in our uh, chaos draft on Monday. It didn't do a lot for them. No, and it's like one of those like it's how they fixed these like artifact mana card artifact mana rocks. And yeah. if you have nothing in your graveyard, it does nothing for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's the thing. I would probably just slam Pack Guardian because it's an absurd yeah, card. Yeah, I'll just slam Pack Guardian there. I'll see if there's any mentionable. Like, uh, is it, would you take an Angelic Purge over Pack Guardian? I don't think so. Mm, no, I don't think so. I I, I prefer Pack Guardian because yeah. the, the Gotcha factor is just amazing. So we have yeah. Stern Constable, Press for Answers, Strength of Arms, Magmatic Chasm, Ron Harkle, uh, Brian Kibler uh, card. <laughs> the. the Brian Kibler Memorial Card. Uh, fiery Temper. So that's Murderous Compulsion for those of you wondering. Uh, destroy Target yeah. Tab Creature. We have a Fiery Temper and a Root Out. Yeah, I think it's Fiery Temper. Yeah, I would definitely. It's like Fiery Temper, Pack Guardian, Solitary Hunter, and then Griffspoon. That's yeah. my top four. It's a terrible pack, though. Not great. Not I would great definitely at all. just. I would just probably take Pack Guardian because out yeah. of that pack, prop, yeah. someone's going to get Solitary Hunter, and you can and you'll know who's getting Solitary Hunter. Yeah, you're not. Gonna get any green back from it, but you can at least absolutely cut somebody off from green in one pack at that point. I mean, you could also take you could also make an argument for taking the solitary hunter and then just staring down everybody to your left and basically be like, I dare you. I dare you to take it. Take green, I swear to God. <laughs> I wish a mother would. Nah. Anyways. So well that was really sweet. Maybe we'll have more time for these as time goes on. Like I know that Ian and I both have uh, boxes of Eternal Masters coming in. So I Probably saving that for a draft. We can crack some of your Eternal Masters packs if you want. I, I am not shy of cracking packs for, for, for little to no value. Yes! <laughs> Let's do it. Anyways, uh, that'll do it for us. I hope you guys enjoyed Ian's recap and why you should go to GPs, because really you should. 
Yes. It, just absolutely 100% slam dunk. If there is a Grand Prix within like three to four hours of your house, even if you want to just go for a day, just go for a day. Go play a crap ton of Magic. Plus, if you're interested in Planeswalker points, even the side events there have actual like bo- bonus modifiers for going to a GP and playing those side events at a GP. Yeah. Plus, you're going to meet the artists. You're going to meet a lot of cool people. It's just a lot of fun. There's a lot of vendors that have great buy list prices if you're looking to sell out of your cards. I know for a fact I'm taking a bunch of my stuff from Origins and Dragons down to Grand Prix Portland because it'll be rotating out. Yeah. Just get some store value off my rotatoes. (laughs) Yes. you got to clean out the rotatoes every now and then. Anyways, uh, you can find us on our various social medias. Ian, where can people find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at DixonIJ, that's D-I-X-O-N-I-J, or on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix, where I'll probably be streaming tomorrow night, so by the time you hear this, it'll already be too late. Um, I'll probably be doing a pack crack, a palooza, um, also be doing some sealed, that I have to finish the sealed league off, I just want to get it out of the way, but it's, it's green, red, werewolves, and it's f***ing awesome. Yes. Or it's... Bleep that out. <laughs> yes, it will be bleeped out. <laughs> anyway, First time. <laughs> I know. I made it 14 episodes, man. Woo! I Anyways, thought. you can find me on Twitter at jwiley129. You can also find me on Twitch by the same username. If you want to reach the podcast directly, you can reach us on Twitter at eyesandthemise, or if you have a more personal question, you can email us at eyesandthemise at gmail.com. Please remember to leave us some reviews on the various podcast apps, whether it's on iTunes or if you just want to shoot us a review over on our Twitter, we will read you guys out at the beginning of the show. Yes, please do. Let us know if you guys want to hear these uh, recaps as well because I will definitely do another one after GP Portland if that's something you guys are interested in. Yeah, definitely. And thanks a lot for all of you all this time, and we'll talk to you next time.